Hello there and welcome to episode 67 of the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. I'm your host Gary Turner. This week I am really excited to introduce you to Cornell Thomas who's a motivational speaker, social entrepreneur and mindset coach. I was very, very grateful to Claude Silva for introducing me to Cornell quite recently. And wow, this guy just absolutely blew me away, sincerely. Um, I have so many really genuinely inspiring guests um, that come on this podcast. I'm very, very grateful. But Cornell has just blown my mind, absolutely blown my mind. And I just want to start by saying that that's 19 minutes and 10 seconds. There's a slight delay of 10 seconds as the connection dropped. But um, being the messy human beings that we always are on this podcast, and please just bear with that. But as you get going in this conversation and listening to Cornell, I just want to leave this one um, early takeaway for you as you settle into this conversation. Cornell shared that we have a one in 175 million chance of winning a dollar on the lottery. To be born is a one in 400 trillion chance. At some point, you have to start asking yourself, why me? Enjoy this conversation. It blew me away. It got quite emotional in parts, and I really, really hope you enjoy it. Looking forward to getting your feedback. Cheers. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And this afternoon, this morning, for my guest, Cornell Thomas, is joining me from the US, and I am so so excited uh, so cornell is a author he's a coach he's also putting off a fantastic um event in london shortly called the positivity summit so please welcome to the podcast cornell thank you thank you thank you this should be a big round of applause you know like once i hear your voice i'm like that voice that voice has to get applause at the end of it so thank you i appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> well look, thanks for joining me this morning if you could just give my listeners a little bit more of a background cornell so you know sure. what are you what are you up to what do you care about and uh you know tell us a little bit about this summit as well so please rip for the next few minutes uh sure so um i'm a you know speaker author i like to say social entrepreneur because a lot of the things that i do are philanthropic in nature uh, so I, I try to remind people that you can help people and still not live on the street. Like you can actually make money so you can feed your family. Uh, my story, Gary, starts when I was about four years old. Uh, my father passed away from cancer. Uh, Bobby Thomas, he was a policeman in uh, Sake, New Jersey. And when he passed away, he left my mom the task of raising five of us on her own with no money. And that was, I think that's what shaped who I am today without even knowing when I was younger, I didn't, because people say like your adversity is your best teacher, right? But when you're four years old, five years old, you're just, you know, you're just a kid. You have no idea what's really going on. But I think through osmosis, seeing my mom become this expert problem solver and focus on the solutions and not the problems really shaped how I am today. So I always tell my mom, I tell them like, mom, if it wasn't for you, there'd be no me. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, nature wise too, like she had me, but, but also, <laughs> The way she worked, the way she worked and the way she grinded and the way she always had a smile on her face. You know, I, my mom never came home and took her problems out on us. She never came home and said, I can't believe I'm working three jobs and I got kids. And one of my brothers is autistic. So if you have anybody that's on the spectrum, you know, that's even that's even more responsibility. 
and she just figured it out. So uh, I always tell, I always have a chapter in my latest book called The Great Tina, Tina Thomas the Great. And it's all about my mom. And uh, she's just such a special woman. And growing up and, and being raised by her, I never, I never thought of it as I was in a single parent household because we had so much love. So what we didn't have materialistic, uh, you know, needs, et cetera, we had in love. So uh, that, that's kind of my mom is the reason I'm here is because of my mom. It, 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 you know what I love? I'm already buzzing listening to you talk. Because not only just the love for your mother, but I just love what you just said. And I think it's really important for our listeners. You may not have had all the materialism, materialist items, but your house was full of love. Mm. Yeah. I just think that's so powerful because what we're seeing, and I'm sure you're seeing it as well, is this, this move back to love from this fear base, from this individualization, this hyper disconnectivity to actually yeah. what it feel like to be a connected singular human race. And I do feel mm. that. I feel that so strongly. Like you said that I get goosebumps. Yeah. I get goosebumps because I feel it so strongly. And I tell people all the time, if you think that hate and despair is taking over, then why am I finding Gary Turner? Like why, like how do we connect? Right? So you're in England. I'm in New Jersey. We met two weeks ago and now we're here doing a zoom. So we're finding each other. All the people that are doing this movement of, just one, you know, one race, human race, positivity, love, and not woo-woo stuff, like realness, right? Like, you're a real guy. That's what I loved about you when we first met. Like, this is a real guy. Um, we're all finding each other, and we're in different parts of the globe, and somehow, like, magnets were coming together. And that's what, that's my sign that there's something greater happening here. There's a reason that you're in my life right now. There's a reason that Claude was in my life, Claude Silver, who introduced us. Like, all this stuff is coming, This all this stuff is starting to come to the top, to, starting to rise to the top. And that's what's beautiful in the age we're in right now. That's, that's just awesome. You got, you're sending shivers back through this screen to me. <laughs> it's crazy. So talk to us a little bit about, so you appreciate you sharing your journey, your early stage journey, the love for your mother and your family. What are you working on right now that's giving you energy, that's really helping you live your mission? Yeah, so I, it was funny, Gary. I was, my goal in life was to be a basketball player. And it didn't start till I was 16 years old. I was god awful at basketball, like horrible. <laughs> and uh, I, I wanted to play basketball because my cousin, who lived in a different state than me, he was this all-star basketball player. And I didn't have anything. I didn't identify with anything growing up, so I didn't really play sports. Uh, I hung out with people. I talked to people, but there was nothing I was really passionate about. So when I was over his house one day and I looked under his bed, he had all these newspaper articles about him playing basketball. So I said to myself, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a basketball player. I'm going to be a famous basketball player. I'm going to make the pros, uh, get a contract, make sure my mom never has to work again. Like, that's the mission. So I didn't realize that when you suck at basketball, it takes a long time for you to get better at it. So it's, it was a five-year journey until I got better. And then I got a scholarship to play in North Dakota. Uh, came back, met my wife there, came back to the States, playing with NBA guys, got a contract to play in Europe. Uh, professionally and then a week before I was supposed to go I ruptured my Achilles tendon and so that was the first major my father's passing was the first but I was too young but the first major change in my life was when I ruptured my Achilles you know I'd say it's the third actually because finding basketball is the second I didn't know what to do because I was 25 years old and I, I, I people say like have a plan b my plan a b c d e to z was basketball and so when that happened, I was kind of freaking out a little bit. And I thought about my mom and I thought about her coming home 
when things were hard and then just figuring out the next solution. So I just got out of why me mode uh, and get in, got into like what now mode. And that's such a huge thing for us as human beings. You know, when bad things happen, adversity happens, we're immediately in why me mode. And it's okay to be upset. It's okay to process that and feel that. But at some point in time, you got to say, well, now what am I going to do? Because once adversity happens, it's already happened, right? It's already in the past. If I stub my toe, I can't go back in a time machine and, and hope that my, I don't stub my toe again. It's already happened. So now what am I going to do? Am I going to, you know, ice it or am I going to sit here and cry about it? So I worked myself back and then I started getting signs that playing basketball wasn't for me. So I started coaching basketball. I started training kids and I realized my, I finally realized my purpose, which was help, helping people. And the reason I got into speaking is because right before my son was born, about eight years, uh, seven years ago, I started to have this shift that it was more than basketball. And we all have that shift where it's like, you know what? I think my mission on this earth isn't what I thought it was for the last 15, 20 years. And I had this big shift and I didn't know what it was. So I'm thinking to myself, God, like what, what is it that I'm supposed to do here? Because there's no blueprint right to life there's no instruction manual you get a set of rules you get a set of ideals but no one says gary okay this is what you're gonna do when you're 15 you're gonna do this when you're 20 you're here 25 here yeah they'd be successful a bit no it's like you have to figure it out right life is trial and error and i was on facebook one day and i'm looking down my facebook and it was just the most negative garbage that i've ever read in my life it was just so negative and i had a book of positive quotations so I, I took a quote out. I don't know why to this day. I don't know why I did it that day. Took a, took a quote out and put it on my, my timeline. And people started to like it. And even the people that are very negative started to like it. So I said, I have something here. So I was just putting the quote. No picture, no, no meme, no nothing. Just the, pit, just the quote every day. And one day I lost the book. And I wrote my own quote. And people still liked it. So I'm like, well, screw the book. I can do this myself, right? Like, I'll do this. So after about six months, a friend of mine said to me, uh, he said, you should, you should write a blog. And I said, that's a great idea. What the hell is a blog? And <laughs> she, she opened up this WordPress site for me, for me to start blogging. And every Saturday I wrote a blog and it was called the power of positivity. And then after a couple of months, I said, well, I want to write a book. She goes, how are you going to write a book? I said, I'm going to ask Google. So I asked Google, how do you write a book? And Google told me that I wrote my first book, the power of positivity and control where the ball bounces. And so after I wrote the book, I said, well, I'm going to start speaking and sharing my story because I'm seeing what my written word is doing. So I can only imagine what would happen if I verbalized this in front of an audience. Mm -hmm. Again, I didn't have anybody to tell me, this is how you do it, or this is what you should go, or don't spend money on this, or don't waste time on that. I just did it. So I was speaking in front of five people, one person, two people, myself. I didn't care. I was speaking everywhere for free for six, seven months just to work on my craft and get the word out there. And then because we have these social media so powerful, it started to catch on a little bit and people started to see what I was doing. And, you know, people started asking me if I can come and speak. And I always tell speakers that are getting into it. I said, hey, yeah, opportunity is great and blah, 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 but you got to work for the opportunity and you can't suck. And that's very important. You got to work for the opportunity and you got to practice enough so, so you don't suck. Because if you go somewhere and there's 500 people, and say there's 10 other opportunities and you're not good at what you do and you don't work on your craft, guess what? That's probably going to be one of the few times that you speak. So you got to go and bring it and you got to realize that it's not about you. I don't speak because I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm the man. 
I speak because there's someone in the audience that might need to hear my message. And time and time again, and you've been through it too, you're a speaker as well. Time and time again, I've had people come up to me and said, I needed this today. And that's why I speak. And that's why I realized that this is my purpose on earth, to help people. It's bigger than me. I'm just a vessel. You're just a vessel, Gary. Everything that, sometimes you'll say things, you don't even remember what you say because it's coming through you, right? We're just vessels. So when you know your mission and you know your purpose, life gets easier. Not saying it doesn't, it's not hard, but the hard part gets easier because you know why you're here. If you're just drifting in an ocean and there's no branches, right? That's when life is scary. But I have a branch every like 10 feet when something bad happens, I can grab onto another branch. So that's a very long-winded uh, answer to your question. <laughs> but I wanted to share kind of like a little bit of my, like how I became the crazy person that's in front of you right now. Well, now, I'm glad that you did and for our listeners as well, because there's a couple of things that come up for me which are really, really powerful. The thing you said about it's not, it's not about you. So, so powerful. You know, the societal models, the education system, even our parents, depending mm -hmm. how they are, teach us that it is all about us. Yeah. So like, it's not until you hit 18, 19, 20, or me, 42, when you go, <laughs> oh my God, it's not all about me. Because literally for me, it was 18 months ago, two years ago, when I went, nice car, nice house, nice life, job title, and you felt empty, literally felt empty. And it's like, so yeah, it can happen anytime. But I just think, I just really want to pick up on those points for our listeners. And also I love your comment about life is trial and error. And there's something in there for me around being a bit courageous and being vulnerable enough to not have all the answers. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You said something that's beautiful. Uh, you said it happened to me when I was 42. The reason that you're successful, Gary, is because that takes vulnerability, right? To say, man, I didn't, I didn't find it until I was 42. Because so often we go on Instagram or we go on whatever and there's all these gurus and stuff and they act like they have life figured out and they've always had life figured out. And that's not real. Because that's not life. You know, like, you didn't wake up and have life figured out. Like, when people say, man, I was born ready. No, you weren't. You were crapping on yourself when you were born, right? You, you weren't doing it. You weren't born ready. You couldn't even walk, right? Like, you couldn't talk. You know, you got ready. You got ready through what? Trial and error, right? I didn't find my mission until I was, what, 35, 34 years old. I thought my mission was something. And I, I was in love with basketball. I still love basketball. But I didn't find my true mission until 35. So it's not really, sometimes it's not, you know, when you find it, it's if you find it. Because the worst thing for me is seeing people go to their grave and not knowing what their mission is or not thinking they have one. It, 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 man, it, it, I feel it in my heart. I feel for these people. Like, you think that you're put on this earth to just consume and die? Like, that's it? You think you're here just to take space? There's so much more to life than that. And it's not changing the world. Gary, you're going to help change the planet. You have this big vision of what you want to do. Sometimes your mission on this earth is taking care of your freaking house. Right? My mom had a greater purpose. Her purpose was to take care of us so I can take care and have a big macro vision of helping and helping others. If my mom didn't do her job, I wouldn't be doing my job. Right? So don't think, don't belittle your purpose because it's not something magnanimous where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm just helping millions of people. No, it might just be being a great parent. It might be being a great husband, great wife. It might be being a great school teacher, right? And that kid that's in your class that has that amazing experience, they go on and, and change the world. 
I'm in pieces here. I'm in pieces, man. Honestly, for those that listen to this podcast, I get pretty, yeah, I get moved semi-regularly because of the types of conversation we have. But the Cornell, man, honestly, I'm, I'm almost speechless. Thank you, brother. I love you, man. Thank you. That means a lot. I mean it. I'm, I'm literally speechless because I think what you're pointing to for me is around this. Everybody is matters everyone's valuable every single human being and this is why i think inclusion is so so important because before we learn to exclude people we are already included you look at your children i look at my stepchildren i look at my friends you look at your family yeah when did we learn that we are not the same and not of equal value whoever whoever taught us that you know and i just think this reconnection is so important because we don't want to all consume and die those comment you just that comment you just used is so so important. Does anybody listening genuinely want to go to their deathbed and believe that they own, they own as many they've got as much money as they can they've got the best car they've got the best house and what's that going to mean to their kids when they're gone? Yeah, that's so powerful, right? We we don't you know what we do, Gary? We don't learn from the blueprints, right? So you can learn from a bad blueprint and a good blueprint, and history tells us that there's a million bad blueprints we can learn from. And being divided, not being inclusive, not loving one another, letting the media, letting the powers that be separate us by race and religion and sex and all these other things, that does not work. We've tried it, it doesn't work. It doesn't make the world a better place. So at some point in time, you gotta change the freaking script, right? At some point in time, you gotta write another book. And that book has to be with what we're talking about right now. And people are uh, misconstrued in the thinking, this is some woo-woo, like fluffy, right? Like guys can't show emotion. I can't tell Gary I love him, right? Because I'm a guy, he's a guy, like that's going to be showing them up. That's garbage. It, you were taught that blueprint. It's an outdated blueprint. You were taught it when you were younger and it stayed with you. It's not, that's not the blueprint that we should be using right now for life. And, the, and if you use that blueprint, the world's going to be the same and it's never going to change. There's always going to be all this death and despair and murder and mayhem and all these division, racism, ignorance that we have right now. So change it. Be a change agent, right? Don't spread it to your next generation. I said one of the worst things that can happen to humanity is when ignorant people breed. It's so sad. It's, it's so it's powerful. Like, stop breeding. And I love it. What would you say? Because, you know, we're totally like we're both into this. We're both in this space. We're having a great conversation. If we've got someone that's sitting at home listening to us right now, and maybe they're 18 years old, they're in a gang, they're struggling to get out of it. They can't see past just, yeah, that's their family right now. Or maybe it's someone that's a single parent and they don't believe that they're worthy. You know, what would you speak to those people right now? How would you, how would you speak directly to them, Cornell? It's funny that you, you say that because I've, I'm on both ends of the spectrum in terms of the people that I talk to, right? So I've talked to people that are gangs. I've talked to people that are, my mom's a single mom, I've talked to single moms. I will tell you this, and you hear the statistic a lot. To win the lottery, Gary, in the United States, to win the lottery is something like a one in 175 million chance, right? So if I said, Gary, you have a one in 175 million chance of me giving you a dollar, you wouldn't be expecting that dollar anytime soon. You'd be like, okay, I'm never going to get that dollar, right? Now, to be born is something like one in 400 trillion. Like, that's a probability. So at some point in time, you have to ask yourself, why me? Why me? Wow. Now, if you can't take that statistic, that probability, 
and say, there's got to be something here. There's got to be something semi-special. Then, then nothing I say or nothing Gary says or nothing anybody says is ever going to change your mindset. If you give yourself time to think about that stat, if you just give yourself a little time, you'll see. Like, I wake up, I'm like, I can have the hardest day of my life. I can have a gazillion things going on. But, man, why was I chosen? Why was I chosen? Why was Gary chosen? Right? There's so much power in that. And we tend to forget that. So I would tell you this, like, that gang that you're in, that, man, if you're around do-nothing people, you're going to be a do-nothing person. If you're around positive people, you're going to be a more positive person. It's what you choose to hang around. I hang around these Oh, I'm sorry, Gary. I think I lost you for a second. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I hang around these positive lines like yourself that are just amazing human beings. So how can I not be? How can I not be motivated and inspired to do things? So I would just say, look at your circle and never fill your circle with squares, right? Never fill your circle with pieces that don't fit. That's that's so beautiful. And I, I think the, the, the parallels, yeah, regardless of where you are in life, regardless of your background, I just love what you're speaking to because you know, we can use the same example for myself, for my family, for my wife, you know, for my colleagues at work. You know, everybody has got this unique opportunity for a certain period of time to make a difference bigger than themselves. It's something I didn't believe for the last couple of years, but I really hope that everyone hears that statistic is like amazing. And I think it's yeah. a beautiful element of clarity to say, what are you going to do, the listener? What are we going to do, Cornell Gary, and the rest of us with this limited window in the universe? Yeah? How many billions of years old is this universe? And we've got this really ridiculous spec to make the most of. Why would we want to waste that? For, so true. Man, so true. We think we're insignificant, right? We think that the ripple that we might cause is insignificant. Well, we're not going to be around here anyway. We'll be gone in 80 years. We'll be okay, well, my dad's been gone for 40 years, but they named the street after him. They do an award about him like the, called the Bobby Thomas Service Award for any police officer that does the most community service. He can't, he's not here physically to see that. I am. My kids are. Their kids will be. His street sign isn't going anywhere. As long as the earth is here, that street's going to be called Bobby Thomas Way. That's impact. That's legacy. Because someone's going to say, well, who is Bobby Thomas? Oh, man, well, let me tell you, let's go through the history books. He was this guy. He's only on this earth for 42 years, 40, 41 years. Right? So it's like, you might think it's insignificant. It's not. It's not. Like, you can, you can really make a change here that lasts. I want to make an impact and affect generations, five generations from, from now, six generations from now. I want my kids, 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 kids to say, wow, you know, our great Great, 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 great. Was Cornell Thomas? Man, he did some things here. I gotta, I gotta pick it up. I gotta do some things. I love that. And how, how? And talking about those next generations, you have children, Cornell. Your, yeah, six yourself. How do they react to this conversation when you take your kids to, you know, Bobby Thomas? Where you know, what are they thinking? What are they feeling? How do they communicate back to you what they feel? Yeah. And you're gonna, you're gonna get me choked up because the story is like gets me every time so uh my son is six right always talk to him about his grandfather you know always say like hey you know your grandfather is a great man etc and so 
I'm sitting on the bed and he looks up at me. He was about four years old, my son Bryce. And he goes, Daddy, your father would be proud of you. Man. I just, I hugged him and I just cried. And it's like, we don't, we don't realize what our kids pick up. You know, we never realize it. And it's like, just to, for him to, to have the sense of mind to say that to me, I just, like I am now, this was two years ago. Every time I tell the story, it's almost, it's impossible not to be choked up. And I just looked at him and I said, man, I love you, B. I said, thank you so much. I said, that means a lot to your father. And my kids are like, all our kids, they're sponges, right? So what we're doing is notice. They might not tell you they notice. They might not say, hey, dad, I see what you're doing but they see what you're doing. Just like I saw what your, my mom was doing, just like you saw what your parents were doing. We saw it. We didn't have to verbalize it, right? We saw it and it stayed with us. I tell my mom, I'm like, what you did, you don't, for some reason, you don't think it's anything special. I said that I never, some of the things that you taught me without saying a word, I've never forgot. And I never will forget. I pass them to my kids, right? So that's the beauty of having children and them being sponges. They, they just get it. You know, Bryce is almost old enough now where I can, take him to speeches but he heard me speak Naya heard me speak my daughter's four she heard me speak the other uh, a couple weeks ago and she was sitting there she was looking at me like this like people are listening sitting here listening to my dad talk what is this right so when they get old enough it's going to be such a beautiful thing for them to see what I do and teach them gratitude and teach them hey it's not about you yeah you're special that's awesome but it's not about you there's more you can do here so I would say that was probably the resounding moment in my life a couple of years ago when Bryce said that to me in the morning where I just, I was like, oh my God. Like it was like, boom, hit my heart so hard. I was just like, okay, I got you, dad. I, I see what you did there. <laughs> Good show. Good show. Yes, man. Honestly, I'm, I'm choked up just listening to you, man. I just, the, the, the parallels between what you're doing is, okay, motivational speaker, writer, author, executive coach. But for everybody, no matter where they are, the job role they perform, where they sit in life, even the work colleagues, if one of my passions, Cornell, is trying to help organizations and leaders realize that exactly what you're talking about is the same for their employees. So let's get away from believing that these transactional relationships at work don't impact them when they go back to their wife, to their children, to their family, to their weekends. For too long now, I believe employees have been seen as castawayable parts of a, a cog in a wheel that don't have any and i think what you'll speak to is i think leaders and organizations need to understand that this is the same there needs to be a duty of care for their employees exactly as you're showing for your children yeah Everyone's a steward huh? yeah that's so big that's so i mean imagine that gary imagine if employees realized like i said in that article is just you're dealing with other human beings right you're dealing with humans now how would you want to walk into the office and feel like, how would you want to be received? You know, if you come in the office and you don't feel love, you don't feel like you're appreciated. You don't, you feel like you're just the number or quota or whatever. If you feel that way, how are you going to give everything you got? But when you go into the office and people are smiling and happy that you're here and you know, your boss comes up to you unprovoked and says, Gary, get out of here. Take the day, go hang out, go see your family. Doesn't your daughter have a recital? Doesn't stop. Imagine. Imagine that happened. And that's global, right? What you just said, that's global. That problem is everywhere. It's in the States. It's in, the, in Europe. It's Middle East. 
everywhere where people that are in leadership positions, upper management doesn't realize that at the end of the day, it's not about your freaking bottom of the line. It's not. Because if your business implodes tomorrow, the only thing your employee is going to be thinking about is how you made them feel. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right? There is no bottom line if your business isn't there. How did you make them feel? So that I think, Gary, like you going out and doing that work is so big. And I, you know, I speak to, you know, corporations, whatever. Me and you were talking about the same thing. Like at some point, me and you're gonna be going to companies together, you know, tag tag team and like not Batman and Robin. <laughs> yeah. But um, but I think I think that's huge. <clears throat> that's that's huge. I love that you're doing that mission because I think when people start to get it, like the the real the real successful companies, they get it, right? Like the the Amazons and the Googles and the LinkedIn's, you go in their headquarters, there's ping pong tables and video games and open space and they're kind of getting rid of the cubicles and they understand like people need to be happy. I went to Nike headquarters. I spoke in Portland and I went to Nike headquarters. It looks like a college campus and their employees have everything. They have like orange theory workouts. They have basketball courts. They have the food. Like it was like a five-star restaurant. They have everything there. Right. It's like, they don't want to leave. Now imagine if you, if you, if you own a company and your employees never want to leave, what's the production going to be like? You know, that's common sense to me and you, right? Like we think, we think with this, that's like common sense to us, right? It's so funny how many people were, that's not common sense. And, they, and, they, and so many companies that don't believe what you're saying. And for you, what gets in the way as we start to wrap up a little bit, and I want you to talk about your positivity summit as well. Um, what, what gets in the way do you feel, whether it be individuals, whether it be leaders of organizations, what's, what's in the way for you still? If we look at not just the macro th- view, but the local view, what stops people going from this more reactive, you know, you know, have to be in control sort of mindset and being to this, actually, it's not about me. You know, what's the bridge we need to be walking people over, Cornell, in your opinion? We have to reprogram our minds. Mm-hmm. Our minds have been programmed <clears throat> programmed to think that it's just about us. Our mind has been programmed to think it's a dog, dog eats dog. That's, listen, there's nothing wrong with competition. There's nothing wrong with competition. I think competition is a beautiful thing if done right, right? But comp- competing against other humans and knocking people down just to get yourself higher, that's not competition right? Now you're getting out of the competition. Competition is, hey, Gary, I'm going to run a mile today. And you say, hey, man, you know what? I'm kicking your butt. I'm running two miles today. That's healthy competition. We're getting each other better as we compete, right? So we've been brainwashed into thinking that we can't collaborate and both succeed. We're, we're brainwashed into thinking that there's only one piece of bread. There's not multiple pieces of bread. So that one piece of bread, we have to fight and kill each other for, right? And that's, that's the problem. So it really comes from reprogramming our minds bring a guy like you into a, a organization, into a, an event, into anywhere and speaking and sharing your story and talking to people about courage and vulnerability, you know, it's bringing someone in like me to talk about what we're talking about. Right. It's just reprogramming. It's like you're living in the matrix and you have to take the other pill. And when you take the other pill, you realize the code starts to come. Like I see the code. Now you see the code now, Gary, before you didn't see the code. Now last two years, you see the coding. And you realize there really aren't any limitations. I mean, there really isn't. I mean, there are people that have gone from homeless to billionaires. Money is paper, right? You can always create paper, but you've got to reprogram this. I've never, I'm literally going to watch tonight The Matrix again, because I've never ever, till you've just spoke about this, seen it in quite the same clarity. 
it's almost as if we're talking about do you want to take the red pill of freedom or the blue pill of fear which one do you want to and we've been living on the one of fear for far too long yes yes beautiful beautifully said 100% that that movie is my favorite movie of all time because it's a documentary it's a documentary it's not it's not a movie it's not it's not fiction it's a non-fiction documentary it's what we're living in and the Wachowski brothers I don't know how they let them actually do that movie and put it out to the world because I guess they realized not enough people pay attention anyway and they'll be focused on the bullet time effects and all the other stuff but it's a documentary for sure that movie is a that's what we're living in right now I'm, I'm going to be going to sleep this afternoon. I can't do this anymore. Come on, man. You're too early. You're sending me all over the place. Look, as we, uh, as we look to wrap up and get some details how people can contact you, tell us a bit about the Positivity Summit that's coming up in, in London. Give us a bit of a lowdown. What are you planning to achieve? What's going on there, et cetera? Sure. I was at a Tony Robbins event in uh, 2015. A friend of mine, long stories I'll share from her for another day. But somehow a friend of mine was able to pay for me to get a ticket. And Tony was like, retweeting a lot of my quotes and et cetera. So I get to this event and I'm looking around and it's like, you know, like music and bright lights and people running around chest bumping each other and going crazy. And I couldn't get my mind off the price tag. <clears throat> it was about an average 5,000 USD, you know, like probably somewhere around like 3,500 pounds. And it's, you know, five day thing, six day thing. And I'm like, okay there's only a certain type of people that can come to this event. That's it. You've got to have money. If you have money, then you can go here. If you don't have money, you can't go here. So we can't be talking about inclusion. We can't be talking about togetherness. If you're excluding just by the price tag, you're excluding people from education, which is great education. So I'm sitting there and I start writing. And two hours later, I came up with the Positivity Summit. I was supposed to have a partner. And she was like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm just writing my purpose. I called it my purpose project. I said, I'm going to do a Positivity Summit. And I can speak all day, but it's not going to be just me speaking. It's going to be multiple diverse speakers, men, women, black, white, I don't care, right, that, that share their stories. They're not going to be selling from stage, right? We're all going to have a half hour and keep going. And then we're going to have a day after the speakers and the workshops, et cetera, where we're going to do outreach and we're going to pay it forward. Because you can talk about making a change all day long, but what are you going to do about it? And if I have these people at my disposal, then why not use that and do something where we can help others and, and show people, hey, it's not about us. We're going to come together and do something for someone else. So my friend was like, well, what were you, where are you going to price it at? I said, ah, like 250 American dollars. And she goes, that's way too cheap. She's like, Hi, that's eight. You're going to have seven, eight speakers. You have a workshop. You have two days. You're going to cater it, blah, 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 blah. Like, there's no way you're going to make any money. I said, well, if you look at the old model and they say charge $1,000 for a weekend ticket and have five people, then sure. But if you're looking at what I'm doing, which is going to be growing and making it bigger and bigger and bigger, what if, how about when we have 5,000 people? Is that still that a little bit of money right like what like how much money do you, i don't need a private jet i'm good i said when i have 30 people it's not a lot of money but we had 30 people the first summit in new jersey we had 75 in new york we had about 45 to 50 in, in la and I'm, not, I'm from jersey i'm not from la 
And the reason I did it in England was because I was like, I want to make this, I want to put this, bring this globe. I've been in England six times already. I've been everywhere. I've been Shrewsbury, Essex, uh, uh, Coventry, Birmingham, Bournemouth, like everywhere. I was like, well, why? I'm meeting all these great people from here. Why not do an event in England? And why not bring it here? And I see different events that are going on there that are 900 pounds, you know, 1,000 pounds. I was like, well, my event's going to be even better, and we're going to charge a fraction of that. You know, and it's going to be when you leave there, it's not going to be just, okay, high five, bye. You know, one of the things that we want to leave behind, uh, a good friend of mine, she has an organization called Project Kind, where it's a homeless outreach. And she has kindness closets where it's almost like a storage place for food, clothes, toiletries, mentorship. And we want to leave one of those behind wherever we go. So in England, we're going to be looking to partner with a charity or a church or someone that has that already and donate maybe like a washer and dryer or, you know, things to help that along. So wherever we go, there's going to be a kindness closet. So now we're just, we're leaving something behind. That's absolutely stunning. Love it. Thank you. I'm excited. So we have England and then Toronto and then Dubai. Um, Toronto's in April, 2020, Dubai's in September, 2020. And I finally got, I've never had a team. I've never had anybody help me, but a good friend of mine, uh, Lisa Skipton, she has a, uh, a speaker's bureau, right? And uh, Sunny Bird is a public relations uh, organization in Bournemouth. They're both in Bournemouth. And they're like, hey, we want to help your mission. I'm like, great. And then I meet awesome people like you that are like, hey, how can I help? Like of the people, amount of people that I've met, Gary, in the last month from England, they're like, how can I help? It shows me that this, this event is going to be so powerful. And I'm so excited for it. It's just going to be, it's going to be an amazing time. It's, well, just a, an extra thing, just for the humor, for anyone that's listening to us right now. I also live in Bournemouth. So, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> <a great quality. laughs> I love it. When you told me that, Gary, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I said, of course you live in Bournemouth. Of course. <laughs> so, well, I'll, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes for, for anyone to, to, to come along and hopefully join Thank up you. with um, Cornell. Um, what are the dates? And I believe it's in yeah, September 14th and 15th. And ironically, Gary, September 13th in England is Positivity Day. Is that true? Who knew? Who knew? And it's yeah, my birthday. September 13th. What would you say? It's my birthday, the 13th September. Positivity Day. Of course you were born on the 13th. Wow. It just gets, just gets better yeah. and better, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That, that's amazing. Yeah. How can people follow you? If people aren't already in contact with you sort of via social media or otherwise, what, what's the best way to, to connect with you, Cornell? Uh, email is probably the best. If you're not following me on Instagram, uh, Instagram's at Cornell Thomas 34, Twitter's at Cornell Thomas, Facebook Cornell Thomas, but my email is CornellThomas365 at gmail.com and the website is www.cornell-thomas.com. And if you message me, I will message you right back. That's, I always believe in the power of connection. So, if you message me, don't be surprised when you get a message immediately. You know, I had someone message me last week and she was awesome human being. And she goes, I heard you on this podcast. She goes, I'm going through this, this and that. And I go, okay, cool. Let's talk. And she goes, well, I'm in New Jersey. I said, great, let's get a coffee. And she just couldn't believe that, you know, she just met me, heard me on the podcast and then we're getting a coffee. I was like, I'm a freaking human being, just like you're a human being. Who am I? what, I'm too cool to get a coffee with someone? I'm too cool to talk to someone about their problem? Like, are you serious? Right? I was like, any, so when people reach out, 
I, I contact them so quickly. They're just like, oh, okay, hey. <laughs> Beautiful. It sums you up as oh, just, just, just wonderful. Cordell, thank you so thank much. You. And again, a big shout out to Claude Silver for, for connecting yeah. us. Claude's the best. Re recently right and look I'm, I'm really excited to to see how your journey goes I'm, I'm confident that people will uh you'll feel that room in Chelsea and uh you know we'll meet in juice of course I'm sure this is beautiful Gary I appreciate you so much thank you my friend have a great day mate take care bye-bye Hi, Gary Turner, wrapping up this podcast with Cornell Thomas. And wow, how amazing was that? Um, I'm really hoping that you got as much out of that conversation as I did. In fact, on that note, what did you take away? What challenged your thinking? What moved you? What did you disagree with? What did you like? It'd be really, really helpful um, to us to know what worked, what landed. And indeed, please do reach out directly and follow Cornell. He's such an awesome human being, just so, so inspired. And I feel a real connection to him after just a couple of weeks of knowing him. In order that we can try and reach more people with these human conversations, I'd really appreciate it if you would not mind sharing on different social media platforms or indeed leaving us a, ideally a five-star review if it's moved you um, on the iTunes podcast app. That'd be really appreciated. Um, but just a couple of things for me to, to wrap up in case it's helpful and for your reflection. I love that Cornell spoke about that life is trial and error. Isn't it fascinating that right through school, maybe from our parents into the world of work, we're always seeking assurance, we're always seeking guarantees, everything's about perfection and targets and goals. Whereas actually, life is trial and error. It's much more about the journey. It's much more around iterations and improvements and experimentation. So what one thing could you do, the listener, following this conversation to try and experiment, maybe try something new, maybe challenge yourself on maybe one of the beliefs that you're holding, how can you try and uh, step into that little bit more flexible, creative trial and error space? I really liked Cornell as well speaking about that we need to reprogram our minds. Competition is beautiful when done right, i.e. helping each other to get better as we compete. This really struck me to my core as somebody that works in international sales, as well as has a big passion for, for rehumanizing work, is I see day in, day out, the wasted human potential that goes into trying to steal competition steal business from another uh, competitor or from spending time on planning for something you've got no control over, you know, trying to get one up on the colleague to try and get that one job um, because it's got a job title and salary attached to it. It really is time we upgraded our, our minds, our operating systems, our belief systems, such that we can see that we're far better collaborating than we are being in competition. A super, super important point for me here was that, uh, when Cornell spoke to the fact that if you hang around do-nothing people, you will be a do-nothing person. I've, I've learned more and more over the last 12 months about this. You know, have a look at your five people that you spend the most time with, personally, professionally, socially. Do they lift you up? Do you have conversations where you help each other grow, stretch your thinking, etc.? Or do you just talk about the political environment and how awful it is and the fact that um, you know, the job's awful, the political environment's awful, your family's awful. You know, what's going on for you? Where do you spend most of your time? This isn't just about a positive attitude. This is a way of life. It's a way of being. Do you prefer being around people that lift you up or do you prefer being around people that take you down? There's no judgment here. It's just a reflection for you. Where do you spend most of your time? And finally, I just wanted to speak about 
the matrix so i really did absolutely blew me away when the, we were talking about the matrix and i had this realization in the moment you probably heard it in my voice where the matrix is actually representative of life and i really see it as fear and freedom my good friend tracy fenton from world blue i got it the wrong way around in that the blue pill should be the one of freedom because that's the uh, the color for freedom but whichever way you look at it you know if you if we take if we assume that the blue pill is freedom and the red pill is fear which pill are we going to take in the matrix because it is a choice it's all about our belief system it's what we tell ourselves in the moment about ourselves and the things around us do we choose freedom or do we choose fear because it's all on us and that was really really reinforced by a wonderful Brene Brown um, tweet that I saw from her this morning and uh, this has been recorded uh, a couple of days before the podcast is released and it's from a, um, a person of color in the US speaking about the fact that racism actually isn't on the political leader of the US or the political leader in the UK or anybody else. It's on all of us. Every single one of us needs to challenge our beliefs and have conversations around um, those things that hold us back around racism and other um, socialized behaviors. So which is the pill? Are you going to take the blue pill of freedom and have the conversations that are sometimes challenging with one another? Or are we going to live in fear and just believe everything's out to get us? I'll leave that with you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. I hope these reflections are of some value to you. I'd love to hear what you took away. Feel free to challenge me. Feel free to share the podcast. I'm really hoping that you get value. Take care for now. Until next time, all the very best.